So, why do they wet wire the implant to his brain in Johnny Mnemonic? That makes no freaking sense. He's a walking thumb drive. Why are we doing this one? Uh, we're, we're doing this one not for Johnny. We're doing this one because of William Gibson. All right, yes. There's yes. a whole lot more going on, and, and you're absolutely right. The, the whole premise of the movie is is Bob Kiss, but... Although it is some of Keanu Reeves' finest work. All right, well, I'm Tim. Oh, well, that's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm Tim. I'm a data engineer, and I'm the eternal optimist. And I'm Matthew, and I'm a data scientist, and I am the eternal theorist. And this is... Kill All Humans. I guess you're introducing this one. Yeah. So Johnny Mnemonic. Um, wow. Never has such a great short story been told so badly in film. Um, well, that's not quite true. I'm sure there's others, but it's we're, we're here more. I mean, we're here to talk about the movie Johnny Mnemonic, but we're here for more than that. So I'll just start by the, the we'll spoil the movie Johnny Mnemonic. That's OK. Okay, well, yeah. it came out in 95. Right. I, I mean, if you haven't seen it by now, well, you're not missing much. much. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> so, Johnny, uh, last name unknown because of the wet-wired implant into his brain, which sucks his memory of his old life out. Um, but it's called Johnny Mnemonic in the movie for the whole memory thing. Uh has is a courier of intelligence. He uploads information into his brain um, and he transports it to various parts of the world, traveling all over, enjoying the best hotels and the hookers they offer wherever he goes. Um, now, in this particular movie, this particular time, everything goes wrong. They steal data for uh, the cure for a disease called NAS, which is a neural affective syndrome. And it's a disease that's affecting everybody uh, on the planet to some extent because of the general pollution and harm of the corporate world. He is hunted down by Yakuza, befriends a bodyguard, joins the free resistance, and ultimately saves the world. And for his trouble, he gets a hamburger. <laughs> you, you know, what, what, what struck me about this film, too, is that it takes place in the futuristic time of January 2021. So the future. And you know what? It's so unrealistic. A, a, a disease ravaging the world, homeless people everywhere, New Jersey being a crap hole. I mean, completely unrealistic. So this is both the greatest gift and the greatest failing of William Gibson, one of a, a, one of the greatest science fiction writers of all time, and the only one to go by the moniker the Prophet. He, when he wrote uh, Neuromancer and then uh, Counting Chrome and some of the other, uh, you know, the short story anthologies, his work was amazing. He really, truly had a, a spectacular vision of the future, which is called cyberpunk if you don't know what it is and it has it's it's powerful it's really incredible stuff you have these corporations that rule the world you have mass pollution you have incredible poverty you have freedom resistance fighters all over the place it's an amazing vision that he does 
uh, just an incredible job weaving these stories. Now, the problem is, as a science fiction author, he was a little too good. And unfortunately, we actually live in a cyberpunk world today. Now, it may not be as overtly uh, broken uh, as his world suggests, there there may not be the slums and the ruins and cyberized resistant fibers running around with, uh, you know, machine guns and such. But um, the essential elements of his world exist here today. And so that presents a small challenge as a science fiction author. What happens when your predictions come true? Yeah, is it um what what what's that saying or that curse may you live in interesting times? I think I think we kind of reached that with uh Johnny Mnemonic in the world that William Gibson paints so well for us. Um so so yeah, there, there's obviously the the fantasy elements uh that are in it. Like you don't have Ice T running around with an anarchy tattoo on his head, try, gunning down people for no reason. Uh that well, maybe. I, I don't know what he gets up to in his free time. I mean, we, we don't talk anymore. But um, I, I do think sort of those elements of, one, corporate control of data, like what uh, what we know, what we don't know, um, how AI has kind of evolved to the point that could you upload a human brain? I think I remember this as being like one of the one of the earlier stories out there of where we're talking about uh, a human personality imprinting on an AI or some sort of system like that, still trying to influence things. This is one of the, this is one of the early stories around it, not just like a faceless robot, but an actual human being doing that. Cause the story, the story was written actually in the early eighties. And if you watch the movie, you can tell I had a lot of the early eighties influences. Like the, you can see like uh, the Japanese controlling, uh, controlling the corporate world. Cause you know, it was a big thing in the eighties. Oh no, the Japanese are coming. Um, you have a lot of, you have so a lot of the shared, uh, elements where it's like, everything's bleak and depressing. Uh, a lot of, in fact, it, my wife and I are watching it just last night and, uh, we're like, this is like knockoff Blade Runner kind of, um, future, but with, uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, he and Philip K. Dick were contemporaries in many ways. I mean, Philip K. Dick was writing a little bit earlier in the fifties and sixties, but when Blade Runner came out in the eighties, it, it they, they these two worlds just sort of collided with each other in in what is an absolutely visually stunning you know uh, movie that is Blade Runner today. I mean that the visuals in Blade Runner and the cinematography and the acting is wonderful in every way that Johnny Mnemonic is not. <laughs> yeah, and so. Some of the some of the themes too that you know it's interesting to watch uh, watch what sci-fi writers will predict and get right versus what they won't predict and I've I've noticed that there seems to be um, so I'm also rewatching Futurama at the moment maybe we should do an episode on that at some point mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. a lot a lot of the the science fiction from like uh, decades earlier I think as much as they get like data culture and some of the social issues right they get the technology wrong so spectacularly like this concept of needing physical memory to devices there's always a disc or there's always something like the idea that information doesn't just transmit anywhere you need some sort of disc which again it, it kind of forms a convenient plot device i mean if they could just put it in a zip folder and put it in dropbox i don't think johnny dropbox has the same sort of you know uh theme to it but you know it's interesting no. to see but the cultural elements they get right around uh around data security data privacy what is our data doing to us like these are all really great elements in the movie that exist that are just being completely hamstrung by just terrible terrible writing and directing choices i mean william gibson wrote the screenplay i'm not sure what his excuse was but i mean just like i don't know but like 
one of the things I want to comment on before we go too far down this, you have to remember that all of the data aspects of Johnny Mnemonic and William Gibson's writing are all implied. We now know today, you know, if I want to build a cyborg and I want to have an artificial hand, we need reinforcement learning. You know, we know that it's a data-driven economy, but it, he doesn't talk about data science. He doesn't talk about data analytics or the compression algorithms which drive all this stuff. It's just implied. But it's interesting how real that texture feels to you and I. Like, I watched that movie and I, I feel like, oh, yeah, well, other than the, the thing sticking in Johnny Mnemonic's head, which we both agree is just totally baloney, you start looking at Spider and... Uh, yeah, so the, the bodyguard la- the bodyguard ladies, various, all of them. Spider, who is the comparable time, Rollins. Um, but all of this has really interesting implications. Like, I actually really like one of the scenes in the movie where um, the, the broker, the information broker, has the, the bodyguard who becomes the heroine in the movie and protects Johnny Mnemonic. He has her hold out his hand. And he has her see how long he can hold her hand out without shaking. And he's like, and, he, and, he, and when she can't do it, he's like talking about like, oh, well, that's just bad wet wear and it's this and they overjacked your nerves. And like, that's actually really cool because that's like a real test that you could actually do on somebody and would actually give you some information about how they held their hand because – Every time, like, I find her and the augmentation started to make these super powerful semi-human bodyguards that are faster than fast and stronger than strong. Like, it's really complicated because, like, okay, so let's say you increase speed. Well, what's the first thing that's going to happen? I'm going to punch something, and I'm going to destroy my hand. Like, I'm just literally going to disintegrate it with the force of the punch that I'm, I'm doing. Or, and so you've got you've to augment the bones, but then you have to do the tendons and you have to protect the skin. And then like, okay, well, let's do reflexes. But it's not just reflexes in the arm and everything else. It's sensory processing issues. Yeah. And so you begin to understand the complexity of what's going on in these processes, like how much you're really changing and altering the human condition to make something like that's possible. And when you get into the details of how to do this, it, it becomes incredibly difficult to create these superhuman cyborgs. But we're going to see them, and we're going to see them in very subtle ways. And we kind of are already. There's, you know, they have a robotic arm that they can attach to a sensor in the back of your brain today that will pick things up for you. Or we can talk about other forms of augmentation, such as I know that the military's experimented in many countries of exoskeleton technology, uh, which right. we don't necessarily think about as being, okay, let's just a mechanical device, but okay, there's still some very sophisticated programming going on in the background to determine how the how much force to apply, how a step should work, how so you don't just like jump off and smack into a wall. There's a lot of sophisticated mm-hmm. data going on in the background, or the fact that they can sew on an artificial hand now, or they can do all sorts of interesting stuff. So, I mean, the cybernetic future is going to be here. I, I don't know if it's going to Because your better. brain is just thinking, like the brain of the operator, in all of those cases, is just thinking, move my hand here or move my foot here. They're not thinking, oh, I got to lift it up three inches this way, twist over this way, up forward an inch, a micrometer down, out in this, and move this joint this much in this many degrees. No, no, they're just thinking... Take a step. Yeah. And so the computer has to be able to 
judge that step, not based on a ritual pattern of code, but based on like, oh, what's the whole body doing? What's my balance at that given moment? Uh, it's it's a hugely complicated problem. And, and, you know, it's really interesting how well thought out it is in William Gibson's world. You know, I think too that uh, in the, there's other authors who who did this very well. So Phil K. Dick, for example, but another one, uh, Neil Stevenson, for example. I don't know if you've read Snow Crash or or uh, yes. the Diamond Age. They they get much more into it in the Diamond Age. Uh, this concept of cybernetics, but it also poses a very interesting ethical issue because you know uh, I think a lot of these authors, especially from like the 80s and 90s, they talk about uh, they talk about cybernetics and that sort of thing uh, as being a problem. Like, okay, we're all going to have like these, like you, we have the ability now to get these exoskeletons. We have the ability now to have artificial hands, or you can have these cybernetic implants to do things to you. They, they exist today in the year 2021, but we don't see some sort of weird shady underground, at least not, not where I live of people like implanting it in themselves. So I think some of the pessimism might've been a little over only crazy billionaires who implant these devices into themselves and. I don't know if you remember that wave around California where billionaires were implanting their own micro dots. Oh, yeah. Or then we have people doing – I think it's going to be more with like CRISPR, people trying to edit their own DNA, that sort of stuff. I think there's going to be the biological yeah, analog of that. that. That I'm a little more frightened of. But as far as like the cybernetics and that sort of thing, I think I think the, the future is here. It's today. Mm-hmm. It's now. And it's not nearly as dystopian. It's dystopian for many right. other manners. But I don't think we're going to see like, you know, jacked up priests trying to murder people for more uh, for more cybernetic body parts. I mean, I, I don't think. No, no, you're you're definitely talking a much more subtle transition of what's happening to the world because of these kinds of enhancements. And they will continue to operate in a way that is not so dystopian or overt. I think the future, as far as like, especially when it relates to, I don't know, it's like, it's sort of like a common theme, especially with Kill All Humans, right? The, our podcast is like, I, I think we are using data, data has the potential or anything with any sort of technology has the potential to be used for both good or evil or, but the technology itself can't be good or evil. Technology is technology. Data is data, numbers, numbers. It's the application uh, that we chose to uh, application and the intention. I mean, that yeah. you have to take into account not just what it is, but what it was built for. Because there's a very big difference. And there's uh, a really interesting controversy that surrounds one of my scientific heroes, uh, uh, Heisenberg. Mm. And 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 it's, it, it comes down to a question, you know, of, yeah, you can have nuclear power, nuclear science, but if you want to build nuclear power for peace, you build it in one way and you research it in one way. But if you want to build it for a bomb, then you're going to research it in a different way. Yeah. And so you have to take into account not just it, it technology is not purely altruistic. It's it there is a question not just of how it's used, but also how it was researched and developed. Well, of course. And and you think about like um like I, I love people, for example, point to World War II. Well, without World War II, we wouldn't have this. We wouldn't have that. We wouldn't have this. We wouldn't have that. Well, yeah, but why did it take a war to come up with these technology? Like, like for all the good, we could have just like t- made all this technology, just dumped it in the ocean and start, and then just took the learnings to start over. I mean, for all as good as it did us, right? Um, probably would have been. I, unfortunately, there is a very high correlation between innovation and war, and and World War in particular, World War II in particular, gave us. 
you know, some real leaps and bounds in a number of sciences. I mean, even pure sciences, which went on to do great things. But, you know, computer science it, uh, advanced rapidly during yeah. World War II. Yeah. Alan uh, Turing's machines and, and other things like that that were designed to break the Enigma coding device. Uh, you know, it's hard to say how long that would have taken for us to get there if, we, if he had not had that immediate impetus to, to drive the science forward. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a bleak future, I guess, but at the same time, it's, um, it's the one we have, I guess. I don't know. Um, but looking, looking into, um, I don't know, looking into Johnny Mnemonic, I mean, uh, I also have to kind of talk about a a few of the other things that, that went on there. Like, (laughs) like we, we talk often in the show about where technologically they got things right, where they got it wrong. And it's very easy for us now because it's, uh, it takes place concurrently. Right. So the question I always ask is that, could we make a Johnny mnemonic now? Could we, I mean, I think it would be incredibly easy just to put a thumb drive in someone's head. I I don't think that was the difficult. Yeah, no, that that we could definitely do. Yes. (laughs) So from that perspective, the movie's pretty realistic. (laughs) It, It is. And I think you could come up with ways of people are at least beginning to think of how to artificially augment and enhance the human body's capabilities using robotics and other things that we're at least thinking about those things so that's that's not that far away yeah and then you know there's, there's other interesting social elements it's like i remember watching johnny mnemonic when it came out in like 95 uh i was much younger uh then i remember watching it again a few years ago the man's movie didn't age well watching it again didn't age well but then there were some things that did scare me but okay this is 2021 uh let's see a lot of people out of work new jersey's mm-hmm. on fire uh <laughs> Global income inequality. inequality. I mean, that's that the huge disadvantage between the haves and the haves nots. I mean, I can't watch that movie now and not think that in this world I am an elite. I'm not part of the freedom fighters. I'm on the wrong side. I'm I'm supporting the corporate capitalist beast. Now I don't want to take that directly against my own job, of course, because I like my job and they're very nice people. But in this paradigm, you you and I are the bad guys. Oh wow, that's. Well, I'm I'm trying to change the system from the inside. How about that? Absolutely, of course we are. We're we're working it from the inside. We're part of the resistance within. But like you know, it, that's something to really think about. Like you know, in this world, I mean, that's obviously that's one of the the things that he didn't necessarily get right because I don't think it is that black and white. I think a lot of people would like to make it that black and white. Yeah, but it really isn't that black and white yet. Yeah, I, I uh, think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of. Um, it it goes political, social, moral, ethical, that sort of thing. I think a lot of people try and boil it down to you're either with us or against us. But, you know, one thing, especially as it relates to technology and data, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of gray room, right? Gray. uh, Like, so, I mean, without Einstein's work in physics, you wouldn't have had nuclear weapons. But there's three more aspects of the world that we really haven't touched on. And I think, unfortunately, we're going to run out of time before we can really dive into that. I mean, that's how important William Gibson was. But we haven't talked about the idea of uh, soul transfer, the idea of a ghost in the machine. Um, You know, we haven't dealt with um, the ethics of using animals for cybernetic research. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's another awful one. Um, That wasn't the one I was thinking of. Damn. There's so many of them. There, there are, and that's that's kind of the problem. It's like, oh, virtual reality and the internet. Oh yeah, because everyone thought you'd have these gloves and all these other things. Yeah, now, and, like, and now we're like, click, click, click. <laughs> I know. 
I don't know. I'm kind of like, I'm really impressed at like how much VR headsets are coming down. I almost want one. I don't know what I would do with it. It's probably a total waste of money even still, but like we're, we're, we're getting closer to that. Yeah. But it looks nothing like we thought, like we thought it would with mid nineties graphics. Okay. So question for you. Now it's time to give, Yeah, it's time to give Johnny Mnemonic a Turing score. So as a reminder, out of five, how realistic is the film Johnny Mnemonic? Okay, strictly the film. Uh, you, yeah, I'm gonna have to go with the film. Be, okay, okay, okay. Well, I think because the book's gonna get a higher score, but then again, the book was a right. short. The, the, it was a short story, so it had less room. It had no. Okay, I'm gonna have to say the film. This is why they're by the same author, so I'm gonna go by film. See, the problem is like the world is incredibly realistic, and the world that he created, I, I almost like want to give like a four or five, you know, four to five range. Yeah, but the book, the movie, just has such problems that I have to give it a two and a half. I mean, I'll let you split the difference if you want. We could do that, but no, I'm, I'm going to stick with my two and a half. You said the movie. I said the movie. I, I think the movie is deeply problematic, and it just doesn't make sense. While there are good elements and interesting elements, I I, I struggle to give it a high score. Yeah, so I had certain problems with it myself. So it's like, okay. Um, like, like the really cool kind of data stuff's like, okay, well, I'm just going to send a virus, but no explanation is just a virus. Oh, okay. That's cool. And we're just supposed to know. So, so it's one of those, uh, it has a little too much of, you know, how CSI, they say enhance, enhance, enhance. And then all of a sudden the pictures, it had a little too much of that logic behind it for, for a movie that's supposed to be like kind of the cyberpunk thriller kind of thing. And I, and I get it. There's only so much room they can put in there, but I mean, just what they got with data is like, Oh, I'm just going to put a memory doubler and then I'm going to jam double of whatever I can into my thumb drive, thumb drive built into my head. I mean, the, the, if I have to go from strictly Turing test realistic, it's going to have to get a two out of five for me. If I go from like world building, Building, I'm with you is going to get a higher score for the world building. But it, but again, if we're talking strictly as a data movie, I got to knock it down several points. I mean, two for me is even generous. No, I, I think that's exactly the problem here, that, that there's a world out there and the fabric of that world is so compelling and so real and so current. And yet the movie just doesn't work. Well, you know what? We are running out of time here, so I just want to thank all our listeners. Remember, run out, watch on Mnemonic, but do yourself a favor, read the short story first. It's not going to spoil anything. This movie is glorious. From Keanu Reeves, any Keanu Reeves stereotype of <laughs> acting you can think of, it's there. It is just... If you want to see and know the quintessential Keanu Reeves, you must have the I Want a Hamburger monologue. It is one of his defining moments in career in film. I need a computer. Home service. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yep. Yeah, so check the movie. Uh, check it out. Uh, while you're at it, check out some of the others. So read some Philip K. Dick. Read uh, Read Neil Stevenson, though, because I think as a cyberpunk author, I think he nails it in ways that even uh, William Gibson doesn't. He may be the, he may be the founder of it, but Neil Stevenson, especially Snow Crash. Uh, in fact, I wish that was a movie we could talk about, but it's not. So oh, yeah. we may have to talk about a book. That would be a good movie. It suffers from exactly the same problem. It's, it's so good nice. and it's so present and so current it's like is it really sci-fi when it's like happening today absolutely well anyway uh we're out of time here so i want to thank all our listeners at this point uh so good news uh we got a couple episodes uh we're gonna throw in the hopper then we're gonna get this bad boy out on itunes spotify google podcast uh pretty much where we get your podcast so this is going to be one of the last few episodes that's just gonna be available on Podbean. so if you're listening to this on itunes hey 
I didn't lie. Anyway, for kill all <laughs> ah, yes. Anyway, for kill all humans, I'm Tim. And I'm Matt. Matthew. Eh, we'll see you next time. Okay, so I think oh my god, like some of these scenes are just so cringy. It's like there's like no or even when a spider was trying to explain why he's so angry, he goes from like nothing to a thousand, like yelling about how bad the world is. Oh god. It's just like give this guy a break. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, but he's a master of bad acting. I mean, he's he's incomparable. And unfortunately, he's probably the best actor.